Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, the exorcism of Anna Eklund is the best documented case of demonic possession in the history of the United States. This episode is based off of the case notes of exorcist Father Theopolis Reisinger. This is not for the faint of heart. You're listening to episode 64 of Hometown Ghost Stories, The Exorcism of Anna Eklund. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 1912. The counselor checked his pocket watch before glancing over to the closed door. She was late. He was doing his friend Father Theophilus a favor by taking on this case, but he'd be lying if he said he didn't find it intriguing. He went over his notes again. Emma Schmidt, female, 30 years of age, hearing voices. He looked up from his notes as the door to his office swung open. There stood a woman, about average height, with a small frame. Her hair was unkempt, and her eyes were sunken as if she hadn't slept in a week. She had a glazed-over look on her face, seeming to show an expression of pure apathy. Have a seat, he told her. He glanced back at his notes as she took her seat. Says here you had a successful exorcism earlier this year, but you're hearing the voices again? He asked. She didn't respond, just stared off into the corner of the room with that glossy look in her eyes. He went on. How long after the exorcism did the voices start talking again? He didn't look up from his notes, just waited for a response. He was used to this with cases like this one. Most of the time, it was just some sort of mental illness. It was very rare to actually deal with an authentic demonic possession. He wasn't convinced this one was, but his good friend Father Theophilus was certain and he trusted his judgment. Suddenly, he heard a low growling sound. He looked up and locked eyes with her. Her absent gaze had instantly transformed into a look of pure hatred. Her once glossy catatonic eyes were now a yellowish tone and seemed like they were boring holes through the counselor. At first, he thought she was making the growling sound, but now that he was looking at her, it seemed to be coming from behind her. Nervously, he slowly rose to his feet. That's when she pounced, moving faster than he imagined she were capable. She lunged at him, grabbing the collar of his shirt and spinning him around with an inexplicable strength that completely caught him off guard. She twisted his shirt collar so tight that he was unable to breathe. He frantically began clawing at his neck in an attempt to free his throat from her death clutch, but she was too strong. He lifted his leg and kicked over his desk, causing a raucous crash. 
After a few moments, staff members came rushing into the room to see what the disturbance was. They wrestled the possessed woman to the ground and separated her from the counselor. He gasped for breath and hoisted himself into a sitting position. The woman was hissing and spitting, glaring at the counselor with that intense look of hatred in her eyes. I'm Dave Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, The Exorcism of Anna Eklund. Anna Eklund, named Emma Schmidt at birth, was born in Marathon, Wisconsin on March 23, 1882. Her parents emigrated from Germany and the family eventually landed in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Anna and her mother were devout Christians, attending church every Sunday. Anna's father, Jacob, on the other hand, was not only not a Christian, but he hated the religion and openly mocked it. He also mocked his wife and Anna for their faith. Anna's mother died when she was only eight years old, and she was subsequently raised by her abusive father and his mistress, Mina, who also happened to be her mother's sister. After her mother's death, the abuse from Anna's father, Jacob, got worse. He even tried to coerce her into an incestual relationship, and when she rebuffed him, he became furious. Mina who was supportive of Jacob's abuse of Anna, suggested placing a curse on her. Mina was known around town to dabble in the occult, and many believe she practiced black magic. She was also known to be an outspoken detractor of the Catholic religion, and many suspected her of witchcraft. Jacob agreed to place a curse on his daughter, and Mina went ahead and cursed some herbs before putting them in Anna's food. Around the age of 14, Anna, who had regularly attended church despite her father and aunt's abuse and ridicule, began having negative thoughts towards the priest and the church. She began having inexplicable urges to destroy sacred religious objects in the church and partaking in communion made her feel physically ill. This went on for years. It eventually got so bad that she wasn't physically able to enter a church at all. One Sunday, She was standing outside the church before Mass when the priest noticed her. He called out to her, beckoning her to come in. She wanted to, but was overcome with a feeling of rage and spit on the ground in his direction instead. Disgusted, the priest disappeared back into the church. On another occasion, the priest approached her, genuinely concerned about her deteriorating behavior. But as he got near, she leaned in, and whispered unspeakable things in his ear in an attempt to lure him into breaking his holy vows as a priest. Anna's condition continued to worsen over the years. Her contempt for the Catholic Church grew, and she began confining herself to her room for long periods of time. In 1912, the priest from Anna's church reached out to a Capuchin monk from Marathon, Wisconsin, named Theophilus Reisinger, who was an experienced exorcist. 
Intrigued by the details of the case, Father Reisinger agreed to assist. The first thing Father Reisinger, better known as Father Theo, would do during an exorcism was try to determine if the affected was either suffering from mental illness or faking a demonic possession. One of the tactics he would use to weed out the fakers was to keep two bottles of water in identical containers, one with holy water and one with regular water. He pulled the bottle with regular water out of his pocket and splashed it on Anna. She didn't respond, just stared at the floor unfazed. The priest put the bottle back in his pocket and recited a prayer. Then he reached back into his pocket and retrieved the bottle containing the holy water. He splashed some of it on Anna, and she immediately began shrieking as the droplets sizzled and popped on her skin. The priest knew at that point he was dealing with a true demonic possession. The exorcism went on for a short period of time, and at the end, he declared her free from the malevolent entity. The exorcism was successful. He recommended she see a spiritual counselor and advised her to ease her way back into regular church services. For a while, Anna felt normal again. But when her father and Mina heard of her successful exorcism, they began plotting once again. Mina, who was an ardent nemesis of the Catholic Church, was also familiar with scripture. She drew inspiration from a verse from the book of Matthew to renew the curse. When the evil spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first, even so shall it be also into this wicked generation. Jacob and Mina, who were in the latter part of their lives by this time, died shortly after renewing their curse on Anna. Almost immediately following their deaths, Anna began hearing voices and her condition once again deteriorated. She found herself sickened by the thought of taking communion and was again physically unable to enter the church. She even attacked her spiritual advisor during a session, attempting to suffocate him in a blind rage which she had no memory of. Her spiritual advisor realized the severity of the situation and reached out to Father Theophilus Reisinger for assistance. Father Theo agreed that the situation was much worse than it had been earlier and requested another exorcism from the Catholic Church. The bishop sanctioned the exorcism but requested that it be kept secret from the public to protect the identity of the afflicted as well as the reputation of the church. This is when Emma Schmidt was given the pseudonym Anna Eklund. Father Theo thought it necessary to relocate Anna away from her hometown to protect her from public scrutiny. He reached out to his friend and colleague, Pastor Joseph Steiger in Erling, Iowa, and suggested the exorcism be undertaken at a convent owned by the Franciscan sisters. Steiger was reluctant, but agreed. Erling, Iowa was a city in Shelby County that had a population of around 300 at the time. It was far enough away from Anna's hometown in Wisconsin where they didn't have to worry about her true identity being compromised. Father Theo sent Anna to the convent first, wanting to travel separately. When she arrived, 
she immediately became problematic. A well-intentioned nun had sprinkled holy water onto Anna's food before bringing it to her room. When presented with the food, Anna began screaming and growling and hissing like a cat. They brought her a new plate of food without the holy water, and this time she ate it without issue. Once Father Theo arrived, he wasted no time and ordered the strongest nuns to hold Anna down to begin the exorcism. The first session began August 18, 1928, just one day after she arrived at the convent. The priests began praying in Latin, and Anna reacted violently, screaming and hurling insults. She began calling out the nuns individually, exposing their unconfessed sins. Nuns began fleeing the room one by one. Anna would scream in different voices, some deep like a man's voice, others high and shrill. The voices never seemed to be coming from her mouth, however. They always seemed like they were either coming from behind her or from deep within her. Oftentimes, the screams would occur while Anna was unconscious or while her mouth was closed. At one point, the scream was so deep and loud, it could be heard throughout the surrounding areas of the neighborhood, causing nearby people to come running to see what was going on. During a recitation of one Latin prayer, Several people in the room witnessed Anna break free from her restraints and leap up from the bed over the heads of the nuns and land on the wall above the doorway, clinging there. Father Theo ordered the nuns to pull her from the wall, and it took several of them to be able to pull her free. Father Theo ordered the end of the session nine days later on August 26th, partly due to exhaustion and partially because Anna was clearly taking a lot of abuse from the demons possessing her. The second session began September 14th. Father Theo began speaking in Latin, but not praying this time, simply reciting secular phrases. Anna didn't respond. As soon as he began praying in Latin, she once again began screaming and howling like a hyena. The second session lasted a week, and during the course of that week, she vomited gallons of green leafy substances 20 to 30 times a day. Witnesses recalled that it looked like regurgitated tobacco leaves. The baffling part was the amount that her body was expelling compared to the minuscule amount of food she was eating daily. At one point during the second session, Anna's head and face swelled into a large bulbous shape and her body became rigid and hard as iron. Pastor Steiger feared she would explode. Her lips turned red and her body became so heavy the metal bed frame buckled beneath her. Father Theo, Pastor Steiger, and several nuns tried to lift her, but were unable. That was when the screams turned into articulated speech. The whole room went silent as a deep voice bellowed out from within her. Father Theo demanded the voice name itself. It responded with Beelzebub, the Prince of Demons, Lord of the Flies. Father Theo asked how many demons were possessing the woman, and the voice answered, Many. Throughout the course of the second session, other voices identified themselves, one of which claimed to be the spirit of Judas Iscariot. A higher-pitched voice claimed to be the spirit of Anna's deceased aunt Mina, and another voice claimed to be the spirit of her father Jacob and took credit for placing the curse on Anna. About midway through the session, a different voice claimed to be Lucifer himself, The voice of Lucifer warned Pastor Steiger that something awful was going to happen to him towards the end of the week. 
That Friday, before heading to the convent, he had another matter he needed to attend to. He was aware of the threat from the devil and drove slowly and carefully. However, while driving, a dark cloud overtook him, causing him to lose sight of the road. His car spun out of control, crashing into an embankment. The car was totaled, but Pastor Steiger was mostly unharmed. He arrived at the convent later that day, and before informing anybody what happened, heard Anna laughing in a deep voice. The voice mocked him for crashing his car, adding he was lucky the devil didn't kill him. Father Theo ended the second session on September 20th, after Anna swatted the Mother Superior across the room. The third session wouldn't begin again until December. During the time in between, Pastor Steiger voiced his regret for allowing the exorcism to be performed in his facility, but Father Theo remained cool-headed. The third and final session began on December 15, 1928. The session went on for eight days of violent outbursts, screaming, vomiting, and arguing with the horrible voices. On one occasion, the room filled with mosquitoes to the point where they had to take a break, only to find the pests had disappeared just as quickly as they'd appeared. On December 23rd, Father Theo had thought the demons had weakened enough to expel them permanently. He commanded the demons in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary to depart to hell. Anna, who had risen up from the bed to the point where only her heels touched the surface, shouted, Beelzebub, Judas, Jacob, Mina, hell, 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 before collapsing back onto the bed. She opened her eyes and then spoke in her own voice, saying, My Jesus, mercy, praised be Jesus Christ. Father Theophilus Reisinger believed the exorcism to be successful, but Anna continued to exhibit small, mild possessions for the remainder of her life. She died on July 23, 1941, at the age of 59, just a few short months before the death of Father Reisinger. The exorcism of Anna Eklund remains the best documented case of a demonic possession in the history of the United States to this day. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into Hometown Ghost Stories, episode number 64. I'm Jesse Wilkins. I'm joined by Rob Coakley. Hello, Rob. I'm just really, really looking forward to the exorcism of Dave Wilkins. But we have to come up with like a good suedo name for him so that we can protect him in the future. And um, I'm not sure. Do you have any ideas, Jesse? Oh, man. What was the name that you had last week in the Patreon pre-show hangout? Because it was the greatest nickname you've ever given yourself. Oh, it was... um, it was Robbie, Robbie Suedo. Robbie Suedo. <laughs> Robbie Suedo is a great nickname. We'll give that one to Dave. All if he needs right. it. Just call me Robbie Suedo. I like it. If uh, <laughs> listeners have no idea why we keep saying Suedo over and over again, that's because Rob mispronounced the word pseudo in the pre-hangout 
for Patreon members last week, and we uh, are probably not going to let that one go. Probably not. Probably not. I want to wake up, uh, welcome everyone that's hanging out in live chat. Um, I see the Stephanies are here, Papa Squatch, Janice, uh, everyone else who's hanging out. Cody's here. I think the other Cody was here as well. Two Cody's. We have the Church of the Cody's now as well. All it takes mm-hmm. is two for us to create an entire church mm-hmm. around you guys. Jessica, I see you. Uh, huge shout out to Rachel, who's here for her final episode for a while as she goes off to boot camp on Tuesday. So thank you for your service and good luck out there. Absolutely. It's very, it's very well. mean of them to send her on a Tuesday. It's like, don't you know, like we have this show on Tuesday nights. You decided she needs to go on a Tuesday. Like there's six other days of the week. We're important. U.S. government. They're starting to, to break Typical. her down. Right. Typical after U.S. government. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a lot of requests in chat for uh, hats and beanies. I mean, uh, beanies and T-shirts, and those are coming soon. They're in production right now, as well as stickers, which we're going to do another giveaway for another five-pack of Hometown Ghost Stories exclusive. Not the word I was looking for. Oh, they're exclusive for you. They are exclusive. Um, Shout out to Annie watching on Facebook as well. Yes, yes. Thanks to people who are uh, watching on Facebook. But um, all you have to do is type stickers in chat and uh, and – you can be entered into the contest. You just got to stick around to the end of the show. Uh, ah, maybe. stick around. Hey, yeah. you. look at that. Look I, at I just entered myself in. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> Pinky asked, did you print off the Al Capone stickers yet? They are all Al Capone stickers, just so you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just like every episode. I, like I just got baited into giving away a bingo card square there. So you did. And now Al Capone me. is officially part of the Anna Eklund exorcism case. You really should have slid. Al Capone in as one of the demons just to see like if anyone had yeah, just, would have just rallied off the names you know, Judas, above Al Capone <laughs> there was yeah, a random but... like name in there that didn't sound like a demon what was the the name that she rallied off so she said Beelzebub she said Judas uh, Judas Mina and Mina. Jacob who's Mina what'd she do did you did you watch the episode or did you... a little bit a little bit here and there in and out is that, is that her her that's her uh, evil, yeah, the evil step on Okay. stepmother aunt the aunt yeah yeah but what i like about the demons is like they came out like an nba all-star team it's like and now at right shooting guard we have bezel bar or whatever however you say it then it's like <laughs> then at center we have lucifer and then you know we have like it's just they just kept coming out of the woodwork it's it's a crazy crazy story but it's uh that's what i was envisioning as like every demon got got named through it is pretty horrifying and we've seen this in a few exorcism cases where you get either multiple demons or it seems like they get the name wrong at first or the demon is pretending to be a different demon along the way you get a lot of like really um thorough communications out of this and uh it's pretty scary stuff so yeah, the scarier part, and we'll get into, I kind of, we'll go through this in sort of a linear fashion, but while we're on the topic, like a lot of the voices that were coming through were coming through while she was unconscious or her mouth was closed and she was not having a seizure, but like it looked like she was having a seizure, right? Her eyes rolled back in the head, mouth closed, and the voices were coming from like her throat, which is weird. Articulated speech, you know, the uh, the, the exorcist was having straight up conversations with this, with the voices that were coming from this woman which is uh, very scary. The, uh, very, I got a similar, lot of this. very similar to the Enfield um, poltergeist. Now, obviously, that was poltergeist and probably not a demon, but they had theorized that it could have been a demonic possession as well. But she was doing that whole ventriloquist kind of talking from the back of her throat as well. Yeah, exactly. But she had those big giant teeth to block it, so you don't really know if she was moving her mouth as much. But 
Um, it seems like this one, she wasn't moving her mouth at all. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff in this uh, that you, you know, you always, you look at these cases and you say, what could be real and what could be not real? What could be exaggerated? And they did a good job of weeding out a lot of the uh, things that would make it seem like it's not real. Mm-hmm. So, and we'll get into that. But uh, I mean, this this took place in the 1920s, right? So it's a long time ago. And it seems like exorcisms are something that don't really happen anymore, you know, given the proliferation of science and modern medicine and, you know, the overall decline in religious interest. But that's actually not the case. So according to the Vatican in 2021, there were over 500,000 requests for exorcisms in Italy alone. Some exorcists in Rome were seeing uh, 30 to 50 requests per day from people claiming to be possessed by demons. There are millions of cases of alleged possessions worldwide today. And the Catholic Church says about one in 5,000 of these claims of possession turn out to actually be legitimate demonic possessions. That's still a lot. It hit a, I don't know if you just mentioned this or not, but it hit a peak in 2018, which is very recent. And that's uh, pretty terrifying to think about was that yeah. reports of people being possessed is only going up. This seems like something that would have happened a long time ago and maybe got phased out with the world becoming more secular in a lot of places, but it's uh, it hasn't, not the case. It really hasn't been the case, which is uh, pretty crazy. So anyways, this particular one was in the 1920s, but, uh, Anna, or her name was not actually Anna. Her name was Emma Schmidt. Um, Most accounts say she was born in Marathon, Wisconsin. Some say she was born in Milwaukee, and other accounts say that she was actually born in Switzerland and then moved to Wisconsin shortly after with her German parents. But, you know, she loved to go to church with her mom. She went as many times as twice a day, and originally she wanted to become a nun, but that was before her mother died, and her father kind of took over and used to ridicule her mother and her for going to church. And, you know, the mental abuse there was really only the beginning of the horrible things that this guy would do because he was very, he was abusive mentally, emotionally, sexually to this poor girl. And, you know, you could surmise that a lot of the, what they considered to be demonic possession could have just been, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like mental, you know, she couldn't be having like mental health issues because of, you know, a lot of kids who are abused. As because of trauma. Children. Exactly. Um, she could have, but they, they do say that one of the things that leads to uh, or opens you up for demonic possession is abuse. And it, especially the kind that she was suffering. So this basically makes you a prime target for possession. And that's how it can start a lot of times. Yeah. One of the things that abuse, child abuse can lead to is what's called uh, dissociative identity disorder, which is what they used to call multiple personality disorder. And that's where you used to get people with, you know, different personalities, you know, different voices. So a lot of possession cases, people have speculated that that was, you know, what it could have been. But there are just so many different aspects to this case that you, while on one hand, you could say, yeah, this sounds like, you know, you know, she's has a, it's like, you know, what's the word? Mental, um, Help me. Yeah. Psychological issues. <laughs> Psychological issues. Thank you. Uh, and on the other hand, there's there's details that just don't fit for that. You know, like if you take the exorcist account at face value, right? And which, you know, you either take it at face value or you don't. But we're here to discuss the demonic possession. So we're going to take it at face value. She's leaping out of the bed and clinging to walls, right? She is, these voices are coming from her while she's not conscious, 
there are uh, she's straight she's, up straight up passed out and she was still communicating exactly so you know there's other there's just so many things in here that it's, that you can't explain away with you know um psychological issues so it's hard to say but she was exercised originally by the father theophilus the priest there when she was young about 14 and he came in and did a lot of things that you've seen like ed warren talk about and other people who have sat in on exorcisms richard gallagher is another one um who's who says that they do these like cursory tests to see if not the comedian either. right yeah so richard gallagher the guy's the guy that smashes watermelons i believe he just goes by gallagher i don't know what his first name is but richard gallagher is a uh medical um psychologist is he gallagher too the brother that bought the original gallagher's comedic act and smashed watermelons uh, you, know, you know more about this than most. You know too much about, <laughs> about that comedian. Uh, died recently, I believe, didn't he? Gallagher? Which one? I think so. Oh, sorry. I'm just very confused here. I'd like to. Why don't you tell us, Rob? You're the you're the expert. Talk about um, fruit smashing Gallagher. You've read all his books. <laughs> Continue. But what I was what I was saying is they have these cursory tests to weed out people who are faking demonic possessions, and what they what they they do is he takes the holy water, he has the, the real holy water, and he has the fake holy water in his pocket, and he won't, you know, the person who's possessed doesn't know what's what, they'll, he'll spritz her with it. And that's what Father the Theophilus did. He spritzed her with the, the fake holy water, and she didn't respond, and then he spritzed her with the real holy water, and she freaked out. And they said that the water was like sizzling and popping on her skin, which is, yeah. you know, something. There's a f Yeah, there's a, quite a few things with this case that lead me to believe that it's real and it's it's hard to debunk a few of them i know obviously we would like to see the footage a lot of these things i mean this was early to have footage anyways uh just from the time frame alone um i have recently watched some footage that got released from some of ed and lorraine warren's boom check that off your bingo card but from some of their exorcisms and it is strange to see these people speaking different languages she apparently spoke i think it was five different languages she's speaking italian polish latin and uh, I think there was German. a couple others, German. And these were all languages that she hadn't known. And she's just speaking in these tongues. It's like... There's a little bit of pushback on the, on some of them, right? So I don't know about Polish, right? But the other Italians, I mean, the other Italians, the other languages, there's there's at least a, a, a um, somewhat of an explanation for it, right? So if she was going to church twice a day, Catholic church, right? She would at least be familiar with Latin prayers. So if someone's praying in Latin, she would probably recognize that because she's probably heard it all because a lot of, a large part, a large portion of Catholic services are in Latin. So that's number one. German, her parents were German, migrated from Germany. So I'm sure she would understand German as well. There was Italian, Hebrew. Hebrew, right? Yeah. So Hebrew, you, you don't know, like, and they also, something I didn't mention is that they believe that she probably has an elementary education at best. Right, because the time that she was dealing with the original initial possessions, she was between the age of twelve and fourteen. So they believe that her education probably would have stopped at that point. So where, how do you how do you learn five different languages? Maybe she's familiar with German. She obviously speaks English. Maybe she's familiar with some Latin because of the amount of church that she went to. But how do you explain all the other ones? Right, it's not like she's having a full blown conversation with a random Polish dude that's just standing in the corner. Like maybe she's just muttering a few phrases that she had picked up if she was faking it. But I mean, there's a long list of other things that happened. Again, we're taking them at their word that she couldn't have done. She couldn't just crawl up the wall and cling there. 
she couldn't right like they said her lips bloated to the size of her hands yeah they said her head doubled in size yeah they thought that's another thing so with demonic possessions there's so there are three signs of a demonic possession according to the catholic church and we're talking about possessions from the catholic context because that's the context of the story um was provided to us it's through the exorcist who happens to be catholic so according to the catholics three signs of demonic possession is unusual strength fluency in a language not formally studied and knowledge of events unknown to the possessed person so anna showed all three of these signs and they say in order to open yourself to a demonic possession there needs to be some sort of invitation whether it's through a ouija board tarot cards provocation invocation or a curse again this is according to the catholics i know that um most people who practice tarot cards don't believe that that's has anything to do with the demonic but the catholic church as an entity they basically took anything that wasn't catholic and demonized it if it's not catholic it's a demon basically so that's where tarot cards comes into play so we don't know if she played with a ouija board we don't know if she dealt with tarot cards we don't know if she provoked demons. I assume oh, she probably didn't. I think so, but I would say the most likely reasons would either be the quote-unquote curse that her parents had placed on her, or not her mother, but her, uh, her dad and uh, his new stepmom or whatever. Her aunt, yeah. Her aunt. And then there's also the theory now, I don't know if it's the Catholic Church's theory, but it's a going theory that some sort of traumatic event could could open you up as a... Um, yeah susceptible for demonic possession so yeah yeah, so either way her dad was the problem because he was the one who played well his dad and the aunt placed the curse on her and he was also responsible for the abuse they said they said that they were slipping stuff into her food because she had that initial exorcism that they thought cured her when she was i think 14 years old Mm -hmm. and the father and the sister aunt wife uh, midwife whatever it was we're slipping stuff into her food over the years that was supposed to perpetuate the curse a little bit more. And yeah, they were enchanting they herbs, happened. I believe, was what, was what they were slipping into her food. Correct. So that was the curse. And uh, just what, like, real, not Even nice. To, yeah, that's a pretty terrible thing to do to your kids. How you try to curse me? What are we doing here? Like you, you've tried to curse me in the past. You just sucked at it, but yeah, you've attempted true. it. You've been sprinkling small pieces of sandpaper into your food. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> no, but she knew things. She knew things like uh, the other thing that you had said. Like another sign of possession was knowing things that you're not supposed to know. And she was calling out these super jacked nuns in the room, and she was listing off sins that they were that they had committed as kids, probably using steroids and stuff yeah exactly the the funniest thing so i got the uh, a lot of this information from uh the pamphlet which is not technically a book it's too short but it's a pamphlet which was compiled by the name of the priest slips my mind but it was based off the case notes of father theophilus and um I completely just lost my train and, of thought. And they, they literally described the nuns as nuns, the strongest. Ath- yeah, athletic nuns was the description. <laughs> <laughs> like the most, the, the strongest, strong. most athletic nuns to hold her down. It works but, out uh, since the demons are bringing their starting five all-stars. We have to bring in the nuns starting five. It's it's Space Jam. It's Mayhem. Exorcist Mayhem. Jam. Right? <laughs> and if you ever saw the movie, The Exorcism of Anna Eklund. Don't. It's a, we're trying to convince Rob to watch it all week we haven't been convincing enough it's a really 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 bad movie and i saw through this ruse immediately 
what, when I said you have to watch this movie, it is very, very scary. Yeah, I, I knew, I knew immediately. <laughs> well, I knew immediately. What, what it, it, Chad, is it, have any of you seen this this movie, The Exorcism of of Anna Eklund? Actually, some of the footage that Dave used in the uh, video part of it was uh, from this, but it was god awful. The acting was terrible. The worst part of the whole thing was the score. Uh, but you could pick and choose all the different terrible things. And they didn't even follow the story. Like, this is a horrible story. They didn't follow it. This is not a movie review, but I do want to bring up the jacked nuns because at some point in the movie, there actually is like a kung fu fight scene with the nuns versus everybody else. <laughs> and they had zero regard for the nuns' lives. Now, mind you, they had been, you know, doing these exorcisms on Anna Eklund for like months, right? Maybe years. So months. they've they've had her, they've been doing these exorcisms and taking very careful and being very careful not to, kill her or not to hurt her in any way because they know that she's possessed then all the nuns get possessed and all of a sudden they're bashing their heads in with the doors and stuff it's like wait these are all the nuns these are your employees yeah <laughs> all of a sudden it was all at the window anyway did, so, they, it's a dumb did they at any point in this movie start yelling out i can't believe you committed exorcism no i can't not. believe you committed <laughs> an exorcism may have. They may have yeah <laughs> uh do nuns not usually do kung fu i don't know that is a stereotype that we're looking to shake you know we don't want to perpetuate any of that so i would assume so Mm, I would hope so. Because Mariah says, have you been to a Catholic school? Those nuns don't mess around. Yeah, they have athletic nuns there too. Mm. This is true. Anyways, back to the uh, the case of poor Anna Eklund here. She, um, so they, parents <laughs> renew the curse, right? Captain McSlug says, nun foo. <laughs> <laughs> that hurt me to read. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. So shortly after the initial exorcism is successful, then Anna's parents or her, her father and aunt find out that she, she was exercised of the demons and they're like, no, no, we can't have this. And they renewed the curse. And they did that by invoking that one scripture from one verse from the scriptures of from Matthew, where it says that if you, you know, if you exercise one demon, then seven more demons are going to come back 10 times worse, basically is what that is what that passage meant um, condensed. But Sounds like it would be seven times worse. Maybe. I mean, sure. If we're going to. Sure. Seven demons. Well, 49 times worse. Seven demons, seven times worse. I don't know. Whatever the math is. Who cares? It was bad. So the they rule, renewed the, the curse one. on her. It's seven and, times one. And despite the fact that she was had initially been doing better after the exorcism, she starts going back towards the hatred for the Catholic church, the violent thoughts towards the priests uh, and the, just the, she was having like crazy sexual thoughts uh, towards the priest also that the exorcist believed was the demon Beelzebub trying to coerce her to get the priest to break his vows. It has to be right. Because there's no one that's ever had a sexual thought for a man named Theopolis or whatever the hell his name was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Now exactly. you've alienated all of our listeners named Theophilus. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So Theophilus Reisinger, who has a friend up in Erling, Iowa named Joseph Steiger, he reaches out to Joseph and he says, hey, I got to pull this, this woman out of her hometown and I want to perform this major exorcism at your convent because he was afraid that if, if word got out, you know, in that small town that she was seriously possessed, that it would just destroy her reputation forever. Because back then, back in the, you know, the late 20s, you know, the, the reputation for something like that could really destroy a person. So this part's kind of interesting because 
Joseph Steiger originally was like, I'm not comfortable with that. But since you're my friend, I'll at least ask the mother superior, believing that the mother superior was going to absolutely say no way. And Father Reisinger was like, oh, okay, well, if that's the case, then great. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow because I already got her permission before I had this conversation with you. So he like tricked his friend into getting him to host them, host this exorcism. So they, they head up to Erling, Iowa, and things immediately just start going crazy. The, uh, there was, first of all, there was car trouble on the way to get there. The car wouldn't start, et cetera, et cetera. Seems minor, but the exorcist believes that it was the devil messing with them. And then as soon as Anna gets there, the nuns try and bless her food. And then they bring it into her. And she knew right away that the food was blessed, threw it at the wall, threw a temper tantrum. They brought her back unblessed food and she ate it no problem. So this is just another one of those things that say, you know, how could she know that every single right. time? No, you're right. It is. It's like the, she didn't, you know, the nuns didn't pass the test. I wonder if they were pretty obvious about it. Like, here's your definitely not blessed food. Yeah, exactly. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, they sold it as well as you sold me watching that terrible movie. So scary. (laughs) Got to watch it. It was, um, yeah, it was that. And then the other thing was that when they would speak to her in Latin, she would just speak back in Latin. But when they prayed for her in Latin, she would lose her mind. So she was obviously understanding what they were saying. And she obviously didn't take well to the prayers. Right. So... The first session, which lasted, uh, I believe, a few weeks, was they saw a whole bunch of stuff like the vomiting and the basically just the tantrums and the Latin and the voices. And it was very taxing on everyone involved. The nuns were having a hard time with it. Obviously, the Joseph Steiger, the pastor who hosted them, was not having a good time. He was mad. He was angry with Father Theophilus for bringing this. And Father Theophilus kind of looked around and said, all right, we need to break. So they took a break for a few weeks and they started back up in September, basically a month after the first one started. And this is when the articulated speech from Anna came into play and they were introduced to the demons that were possessing her. So she was possessed by a multitude of demons. There were like a whole bunch of like lower ranking demons that would try and interrupt and they would come through in like kind of intermittent patterns, just basically trying to cause chaos, we assume. But the first demon that actually announced itself was the demon known as Beelzebub. So he was originally a Philistine god that the Catholic Church considers to be one of the seven major demons representing the seven deadly sins. Beelzebub represents gluttony. And in Hebrew scripture, the name Beelzebub directly translates to the Lord of Flies. He claims to cause demons to be worshipped by men, and excite priests to lust. So as we mentioned earlier, that's the connection that the exorcist drew between Anna and the original priest from her hometown. Am I wrong in thinking that he's not a lower ranking demon? I thought he was like second in command down there, like second to Satan, no? He's not. So if I made that, if that sounds confusing, all right. So the first demon was Beelzebub, and then there were several other major demons, and then there were lower ranking demons also, but the first major demon to announce himself was Beelzebub. Oh, I thought you were saying that he was one of the lower. No, I did. I worded that weird. Which which one is that? That one. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So you have the visuals there. Right. Um, And just to remind everybody on our show, he is referred to as bezel bar. That's how we say his name here on hometown ghost stories. 
Thank you. Uh, Brodat says, Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, addressed the latter to his friend Theopolis. Oh. That's an interesting connection. That is a weird connection. Mm-hmm. Mm. The second did it Did it mention in the book of Luke that Theopolis just never pulled chicks? It's I just, bet Theopolis was so handsome. He never pulled any chicks. It's just, you can't with that name. It's impossible. You know, I bet Theopolis is laughing from the heavens with his family surrounding him at Rob with no family. <laughs> like, yeah, Brutal. I don't pull chicks. Brutal. <laughs> so the second demon to announce itself uh, was announced himself as Judas Iscariot. He announced himself as a demon. Judas Iscariot? Judas Iscariot. Judas's carrot? What is going was that his last name? Rock Not carrot. Cool man. <laughs> Judas Iscariot was the uh he was the one of the 12 apostles, the one who sold out Jesus to the Romans and eventually led him to his crucifixion. Was he felt real guilty and ended up hanging himself. The reason that he was sent to possess Anna, according to the demon that was claiming to be Judas is he was sent to possess Anna and attempt to get her to hang herself like he did in life. And he claimed to be the demon of suicide. So with this one, you know, a demon is technically supposed to be a non-human entity. So Judas Iscariot, who was an actual human who walked the earth, you wonder if this was really his, his, his spirit possessing her or if it was just another demon playing. Using that tricks Wouldn't yeah. be the first time. Exactly. Uh, but I don't know. We don't make the rules. As we I say. really, really want to play the clip that I played for you guys before the show now, after we've talked about how Judas met his end. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Inside jokes. Fun for everyone. Um, so the third... Rachel knows it. So at least there's one person other than us. <laughs> I was wondering how we were going to fit this into the episode today. Here it is. But uh, so the third demon to announce itself was the spirit of Mina. Mina was Anna's aunt. And during the exorcism, the voice came through. The voice had come through earlier, right? Where she was, it was a higher pitched voice. And they're like, what is this high pitched voice? Because there were all these really low bellow voices, low bellowing voices, really deep, scary sounding voices. Then there was this one high pitched voice. When the high pitched voice eventually announced itself, it, it, it admitted to being the spirit of Mina, her aunt. And during the possession it confessed to murdering four of her own children during her life so mina who was accused of witchcraft and blood magic and satanism you know you got to wonder maybe at this point was mina dead mina and jacob were both dead yeah the parents okay. at this point yeah it'd be tough for the spirits to haunt if the That's person it, yeah. wasn't dead yet but so. i wouldn't be surprised again if they were just using different names and stuff but that's a pretty pretty bad detail yeah and the fourth demon to announce itself was the demon spirit of her father jacob he confessed to abusing anna he confessed to cursing anna he claimed that he owns anna because he was her father and should have the right to abuse her so all these voices were coming from anna whether she was awake whether she was asleep whether she was in a the middle of a mental fit just they were just coming from her and and, you know an articulated speech arguing with the exorcist so pretty creepy stuff these four main demons plus all the lower ranking demons and then lucifer himself announced his presence and this was the demon who predicted the car accident with father steiger he said the end of the week 
this rule. So and the voice coming from Anna says, the end of the week, you're going to have something horrible happen to you. And Father Steiger, who was already not comfortable with this whole thing, already mad at his friend, Father Theophilus, you know, that's a great point. Sorry, Anna Campbell came in and just said that maybe her father was possessed also. I hadn't even considered that. That's a good point. But uh, back to the Father Steiger thing. He said, so something's going to happen to you towards the end of the week. So Friday comes around and Father Steiger is a little nervous. He wakes up and he has uh, to deliver the the rights, the final rights final to right, us. Yep. Yeah, to uh, somebody who was dying or had died. So he had to go do that and he gets in his car and he's, he's got this this prediction from the devil on the back of his mind that he's driving extra careful. He knows the road. He knows the, you know, the way and everything. And he's driving as careful as possible. And he's just all of a sudden overcome by this dark cloud, just completely blinds him. And he spins off the road and gets into a horrible car accident, survives. He ends up getting to his deliver his final right. And then he gets back to the convent. And before he has a chance to tell anybody what happened, Anna calls him out and says that car accident. He's like, I wrecked your car. Ha ha. You're lucky I didn't kill you basically. Mm -hmm. And that was the spirit of Lucifer. So you've seen these predictions in a lot of uh, poltergeist cases. I just finished reading up about the one in Connecticut. I mentioned it earlier. And that happened like nonstop in that one they just kept predicting he's like oh yeah on this day you're going to hurt your leg on this day you're going to hurt your eye on this day you're going to go blind and literally everything that this little possessed kid was predicting was coming true we'll cover that story eventually but it's uh it's interesting the reoccurring things and we talk about the car accidents on a lot of things particularly with cursed possessions it was with uh the annabelle doll and i believe robert the doll where and um obviously the, the chair as well cursed chair where, where there was a lot of car accidents that were connected with these things so Careful driving out there if you're messing with the demons. Mm, this is true. Didn't we get a um, an i an iTunes review or an Apple Podcast review that says they were listening to one of our episodes about demonic possession and their car started acting funny? Yeah, remember that yeah, one? Yeah, that was early. That was early yeah. in the beginning of the show. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the Conjuring episode. Mm-hmm. Creepy, but yeah, it is. Uh, it's pretty weird. Yep. Yes. So uh, the final session is when the actual possession was quote unquote resolved so this was when the father theophilus had thought that he had the demons weakened enough so according to demonologists that have studied this they say that when the demons announce themselves that's when they're starting to weaken so you basically the way an exorcism works is the priest will weaken the spirits with just prayer for hours yeah, a lot of time like the knockout punches when they ask it for its name right right so they'll ask for the name they'll they won't get the name once you get the name that's how you know that this is on you know you've you've you're winning overcome the, the hard part you're winning the battle now so once he gets all the names he knows that it's basically you know the end is in sight light at the end of the tunnel so he finally demands that the spirits that are possessing her that they head back to hell and announce themselves on the way out. And they do exactly that. Anna stands up and yells out, um, Beelzebub, Judas, Mina, Jacob, hell, hell, hell. And then she falls down back into bed and she speaks in her own voice for the first time, which was a great turn of events for this story. And the Father Theophilus, he declared the exorcism successful and went on with their life. The problem is, 
is that she considered what's what's weird is the way that the story is told it's like and then the exorcism was complete and the possession was over and she lived the rest of her life pretty much normal except for just a few minor possessions here and there it's like wait what yeah what was that last part again this is a recurring thing with other possessions as well where it's like yep demon was gone but occasionally it would just laugh at them or predict the future from time to time just little things it's like wait what like you have to live with this forever so I've heard this in in several cases is that like you'll just get little glimpses where it just reminds you that it hasn't gone anywhere. Exactly. So that was the case with this one. And this story actually gets a little bit weirder. So after the exorcism was complete and the possession was resolved, she ended up being plagued with smaller possessions for the rest of her life. And she began getting messages from Jesus Christ, she claimed. And the father Theophilus was monitoring this knowing that there might be some like residual stuff with the exorcism after the fact. So he's kind of like paying attention, but not, you know, taking a whole bunch of, you know, not giving it too much credit until she started saying that she has messages from Jesus Christ predicting who the antichrist is and when the antichrist is coming. So he might not have paid too much mind to the claim, except that there was a 19th century mystic named Catherine Emmerich who made the exact same prediction that the Antichrist would come 50 years before the year 2000. Um, So this being in the 1930s, they were looking for somebody who was around the age of 12 at that point. So they started basically looking at 12-year-olds who might be evil. And they came up with two names that are interesting. The first name that was interesting that they came up with at the time was a 12-year-old in Siberia by the name of Mikhail Kalashnikov. And they kept an eye on him for a while. He ended up not being the Antichrist. The hell did he, he do? Did, what's that? How would he get on that list? Because he was a problem child who was into like making weapons, basically. And he ended he up was like being, really good at making weapons. Well, he ended up being really good at making weapons because he was ended up being the in the Soviet Union. He ended up being the creator of the AK-47 assault rifle and the RPK light machine gun. So not the Antichrist, but definitely was responsible for several deaths one way or another. Anyone needs to win a 1v4, the RPK light machine gun is absolutely meta in Warzone 2 these days. I bring the important information here. I was waiting for it. I knew it was coming. But the other name that they gave out, which was interesting, was Georgios Papadopoulos from Greece. That is literally, literally my father-in-law's name. I know it is. (laughs) Not not him. (laughs) Different guy. Uh, but he was like a 12-year-old at the time, and he ended up... It's, being, it's, it's just just so you don't sound like an absolute American. It's Yorgo. Yorgo Papadopoulos. Sorry. There thank you. you. And thank you. Uh, he was a Greek military... Op- he ended up being a Greek military officer and political leader who... Or political dictator who ruled Greece as a dictator from 1967 to 1973. So neither of these guys ended up being the Antichrist. It's just weird that she... Um, it is good news that my father-in-law is not the Antichrist. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for bringing that up here on the show. There was yes. another. There was another one uh, who was involved in politics and like he got arrested for something or something along the lines during the last administration. And I was like, Jesus, this name you just can't get a break. But the last name Papadopoulos is like the last name like Smith. Thomas or Adams or Smith or something like that in in the United States. So <laughs> it's very common in Greece. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that is. That is the exorcism of Anna Eklund, pretty much the whole thing. And it was a very disturbing case. 
Yeah, what I find like particularly interesting with this, and I don't know why this one point stuck out at me, but it was when the priest got like conned his priest buddy into coming to do this exorcism or whatever. And the guy was like pissed. He's like, oh, this is too much for me. It's like, dude, if I were a priest or if, if I was like studying in the field of exorcisms and this is what I wanted to do, this is all the proof you need that everything that you've been studying your entire life was not a waste of time, right? This is Unless he sees this stuff all the time. And it's like, I've seen this song and dance before or if it wasn't legit. But at the same time, it's like, dude, like if this is an actual demonic possession, you should be pumped about this, that you're, you're validating that it is legitimate and real. Yeah. Creepy stuff. And uh, it's, it's funny. It's not funny, but it's, it's interesting when we see these demonic cases, right? Cause my, my brain always goes skeptic and it's just like, Oh yeah. Possessed by Beelzebub and Lucifer. It just sounds just so fantastical and just crazy and just, far-fetched but then there's just so many details that are just hard to refute and there are so many cases of people experiencing similar things uh we like consistency when we're looking at these things you know scientific research you know they take like consistency is is part of scientific research so Mm. it's hard to completely dismiss it when there's so much blatant evidence in your face it's easier to accept the accounts for stuff when you have more evidence. The Vatican doesn't release much of it, but we have it, it is out there. There, are, there is video footage of different exorcisms happening, and there's stuff that you really can't explain. Like they got people who can't even speak their own language, and they're just speaking fluently in Latin during a possession. It's just horrifying stuff to see. Um, you know, kids t- listing off demons. I know the internet is around now, so they could look up anything, but. I mean, kids listing off like, you know, the seven helpers of Satan or whatever you were talking about earlier. It's like, how do you, how do they figure that out and memorize it and remember this yeah, kind of stuff? Yeah, exactly. The uh, Bell Witch case, was, um, I forget where that was, somewhere down south. Your connection, but, um, is, uh, connection is shoddy. It's possessed. But the Bell Witch case right. is another interesting one. Well, that was one where there was a little kid who was listing off de- demonic names and should not mm-hmm. have had any knowledge of them. And the other thing we got to remember is that during the time of this, right, it's not like today where there's so many ways to be famous via movies or, you know, the internet or stuff like that. So it's not like she was the faking it for the attention is like less likely back then, I would say, because what attention they were keeping it a secret and they masked her name too. Right. So, right. So that's the other thing. Like it's, the, it's well documented, but it didn't turn into like a celebrity case is what you're saying. Like a lot of these other right. cases do where they just have press just out line, lining the street and protesters and stuff with, you know, you are the antichrist signs and everything. It's like, that, that's not, she wasn't looking for a book deal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's where I was going with that. Right. The, they, they gave her a pseudonym because the, all of the attention would have been negative and detrimental to her. Um, Future. Reputation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the point. Yeah, I think it's I think it's legitimate. Obviously, we're putting a lot of weight in on what these priests are saying and just kind of taking their word for it, taking her word for it. But it seems like it's a legitimate uh, case of demonic possession. Definitely one of the crazier ones we've covered for sure. I mean, there's other crazy ones to cover, but this one, just the documentation to back this one up and the crazy stories that surround it is it's just baffling. You know, what's yeah. interesting about this one, too, is with all the anytime you see a demonic possession case and they start talking about tropes that you see in the Exorcist movie as details, you're like, ah, man, I saw that in the Exorcist. Be original, at least. This mm-hmm. one had those tropes. 
but it happened way before the exorcist was written yeah this one created those tropes if you will exactly like the the vomiting thing was really interesting like she was just vomiting so much that like she hasn't eaten or drank like anything in days where is this coming from and she just was profusely just vomiting and releasing fluids from her body in other ways just like non-stop and it's just it made no sense and she was like you had mentioned it i believe she was throwing up like tobacco leaves and stuff like when did she eat tobacco leaves it makes no sense yeah. so it was a, a lot of things that that can't be explained so that's pretty much so that. where do you guys lean on it? you guys both think that this is probably more likely a real case rather than not real it's hard to it's hard to put it one way or another without seeing actual evidence but if we're taking them at their word then then how can you not yeah i think that this you know on a skeptical side if you if you forget the things that you can't explain you look at it this mental illness is a part it plays a part in it and you know this is based on the account of a priest who may have had an agenda who wrote it not necessarily father theophilus but the the, the german priest who compiled the actual pamphlet mm-hmm. you know who knows who knows what's exaggerated it's hard to tell it was so long ago but at face value it's there's some stuff in there that's just hard to refute mm. what about you, i mean it feels like it'd be more real than not real just based on some of the evidence that we've seen in other cases that we can like cross-reference that these things were happening her knowledge of such cases is non-existent because some of them happened after her right and like it just it all kind of adds up that it's more likely than not i would say but again we are talking about a time where they didn't understand mental health issues and i always kind of like lean on the skeptical side based on that as well right like because it's we still are learning about that stuff so like our knowledge now is way more advanced than it was 100 years ago and in 100 years it'll be even more advanced and we probably still won't know everything so um it's tough i guess i lean towards it being more real but i do understand the skepticism surrounding any any case of possession Mm -hmm. for sure you have to take that stuff into account and you have to obviously if you're dealing with this you have to go seek like actual help from a real doctor to make sure that you know what you're dealing with it seems like in a lot of the cases that i've read up on they use exorcism as like a last last resort where it's like right. well, we don't know what else it could be so let's just do it and i don't know if they would have back then though right like now yes but like back then like exorcism might have been like a quicker alternative than other stuff i think well, yeah, there were probably, probably fewer that. alternatives back then That's, for one right but i know that the catholic church has always been hesitant to um do an exorcism it's always like jesse said like the last case scenario like the worst mm-hmm. case scenario nowadays they actually there are doctors who will prescribe exorcisms as like a placebo to um psych psychiatric patients who just yeah. believe they're possessed so there's they'll just a doctor will just prescribe an exorcism and they'll have like a priest or a shaman or a monk or whatever religion they are just have them come in and perform an exorcism and a lot of times it works has that placebo effect yeah which is interesting so this was definitely an interesting case. I mean, I do want to say I'm super happy that you did Iowa right after I did Iowa because, you know, when we think of haunted states, Iowa is the one that jumps to the top. So, Jesse, now it does. what what are you covering next week in Iowa? I don't know. 
something. <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet. My house is haunted, by the way. Thought one of my kids were up. I was ready to go put him back to bed. There's nobody there. So. Bubble Squatch says my doctor prescribed me exercise. It's almost the same. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, do we want to get into some five-star reviews? Yeah. All right. So we've got... We've got two. I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to allow this one time. I'm not doing it again. I am going to read one four-star review because it's a good review. However, next time. Please read it in an angry voice at least. All right. Put on a mad face at at, at minimum. Well, well, hang on. I assume assume that this four-star review hit four stars by accident because it was a very positive review. So if you're listening and you're hearing this review read back, You can go back and edit that to the five stars that you You're good. All right, Rob, just just half your face angry, please. Good. All right, this is from Awesome McGingerstein, and it's titled Too Sweet. Great show. Love the chemistry between you all. Love the content. P.S. Original Pet Cemetery was the re- was better than the remake. That's just me. So that was our four-star review. Never again will I do it, but that was the four-star review. No. Oh. Whoops. All of a sudden, this is just, this yeah, just the Jesse show again. Like, wait a second. Too much, too much spotlight on Rob. Yeah, I'm terrified this episode. Um, right. Yeah. Any other fives? Or yeah, we got, fives? we got two more um, that are both five stars. I, one of these I thought was your burner account until I read the title of it. And I'm like, there's no way Jesse knows this reference. So the, I know it's not Jesse, but it's from Kiki Moore's Great Escape. It's titled A Very Nice, Very Spooky Podcast, um, which is a Dan Housen reference that I know. Dan Housen means nothing to Jesse. He doesn't know what that is. Um, excellent podcast to listen to if you're into the paranormal or when life makes you feel trapped in a box. Episode 10 is a personal favorite, which I believe was the Emily Morgan Hotel. Jesse should cover a haunted school or orphanage in the UK. He will make it feel authentic like no one else. Five out of five stars. My it accent is perfect, <laughs> isn't it? We're in Iowa. <laughs> now granted if you go watch the exorcism of anna eckland movie that takes place in iowa they all have english accents. they all have english and irish accents for no reason <laughs> yeah all right so this other one this is a really good review a little bit longer it's from vj forever first time podcast listener in november 2022 i was doing a lot of work on my house and yard and wanted to listen to something other than news and political commentary Several people told me I should listen to podcasts, but I didn't bother since my listening time is limited and I like to keep up on current events. I decided a podcast might be fun while I was working on stuff. For years, I listened to books on tape. I tried to find paranormal fiction and stumbled on your podcast. I was intrigued since I live in Southeastern Mass. My daughter goes to college in Salem and I have several family members who live in the Bridgewaters in the Bridgewater Triangle. So the local spin interested me. Plus, you guys have mentioned Weird Massachusetts, a book I bought years ago and love. I was hooked on the first episode and binged up to date. Since I also love to research, I looked into several of the areas and people you have mentioned. I even listened to your horror movie reviews, which at first I didn't have an interest in, but you guys make it fun. Plus, I know I'll never watch those movies, but I like knowing the plot and the ending. Definitely five stars plus. I hope you guys do this for a long time. Would definitely recommend. So... Very interesting spin on the horror movie reviews where people are listening to them without watching the movie and then um, just getting our spoiler-filled review of it. I think it was Cody or, or maybe it was Matthew T or someone that had left a comment that just said, like, I watch these horror movie reviews just to know whether or not I should go see the movie. 
and he just fast forwards over to our ratings. I was like, all right, well, that's one way to use it. So <laughs> as long as you're watching, that's all we care about or listening. Uh, let me all give a shout out to our patrons real quick. Jeannie R, Justin T, Lisa J, Mike B, Mom and Pops W, and Robert H, as well as Stephen V and Demon King. Those are our VIPs. Thank you guys so much for being a part of the VIP patrons. That's awesome. We have Anna C, Even Better Hometown Ghost Stories. Garrett, we have Jake V. We have Rachel B, uh, Stephanie A, Sydney B, Anthony Angry, Dave Rocks T, Brandon W, Brennan B, Captain McSlugs, Cody G, Huggy Bear, Kiralee J, Mark M, Matthew T, Mariah M, Papa Squatch, Sarah, Dave Loves Bacon R, Sarah W, Solar Flare, Soph, and we have Hooper. Thank you guys so much for as little as $3 a month. You two can uh, be on this list, be in the credits. It's about time for a wheel spin, gentlemen, unless there's anything else you want to mention. No, do we want to talk about some of the stuff coming up first before we do that? Well, I don't know what's happening next week, so you take it away. Well, Friday we have a Friday the 13th movie review dropping on the podcast feed and in the YouTube. Very original, Friday the 13th. We're going to drop Friday the 13th movie content. No one else has ever done it. We are the first show to ever do such a thing. Fact. Uh, Monday night, January 16th, my birthday. We are going to be doing a live stream, doing our normal, um, what are they called? Creepypastas. Campfire stories. Campfire stories. And at the end, we will make up our own story. It'll probably only be an hour long stream because I didn't realize there was going to be an NFL game on on Monday night. But uh, (laughs) And look at Demon King in the chat dropping $9.99 in Super Chat. Hang on one second. I need to see. Is Pinky on here? Because I see her saying stickers. All right, let's add her in. So for those of you hanging out and looking to possibly win the stickers, oh, look at that, John Q as well. Last second, everyone's jumping in. Uh, It's Audrey, not Aubrey. We had a long chat and private chat, whether it was Audrey or Aubrey. And it was Audrey. We were wrong. Okay. Anyway, so we're going to give this a spin. Uh, If I forgot your name on this list, I apologize. And I will enter you twice next week. So if you look at the office, her last initial is B. So when I read it, I read it as Aubrey. Yeah. Mm, That's Mm, right. Okay. Let's give it a spin. The rules are you have to be here. And we'll see what to do with Papa Squatch if he wins because he won last week. So did Hell Capone's on the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, who else Who else won last week? Cody won as well. So those, uh, by the way, those have been mailed out and they you should be receiving your five pack of exclusive stickers soon. Here's the first spin. Let's take a look and see who wins here. And it uh, is. I want it to be Al Capone. Me too. Me too. It is Rhonda S. Rhonda, if you're still here, uh, why don't you go ahead and just type in chat. I'm going to give another spin. Why not? I'm going to give away one more. This is lots of fun. Boom. I feel like uh, Pat Sajak. He's not on Wheel of Fortune, is he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, Pat Sajak, yes. that's the right guy, right? Yeah. Oh my god. Do it. Do it. <laughs> one. All right. Where's his grave? We have to go. We have to send stickers Just cover his grave in stickers. <laughs> Not arrested. Oh, and it is that was so close. It was actually oh, better hometown ghost stories. That looks like a tie. Oh no. My goodness, Stephanie. All right. Well, congratulations to the winners. You guys can also get entered in if you want to win some stickers. We have so many to give away. So uh, just join the Discord and we'll do a giveaway to new people on Discord and existing eventually. Anyways, I think that'll pretty much do it. Anything else, gentlemen? Uh, no, that's going to do it for me. All right, then. We'll catch you guys on. Are we going live on Friday? Is that the plan? Monday. We're going Monday. live on Monday. Monday, we're yeah. live. Friday, we're dropping Friday the 13th review. We already discussed this. We'll talk to you guys yeah. next week. Peace.